Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, my prayer this morning is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So, everybody likes to know the future. Now, you probably say, well, not me, but if you have a weather app on your phone, you like to look at the future. Now, Vicki likes to go to Ocean City. So she looks at her week, she looks at her days off, and then she gets out her weather bug app and she looks. What's the weather going to be? Now, the funny thing is, if you look far enough out, that weather is going to change drastically. It, it'll say rain, it'll say sun, it'll say partly cloudy. So I, I'm going to buy her for Christmas, don't tell her this. I'm going to buy her a hillbilly weather rope. Have you seen these? You tie it outside your window, and if the rope is wet, it's raining. <laughs> and if the wo- rope is moving, it's windy. Yes. And if you touch the rope and it's hot, it's sunny. And if it's cool to the touch, it's cloudy. If it's stiff, it's cold. If it's white, it's snowing. And if it's gone, take shelter. Right? But you can get these things on your phone, and we want to know the weather. What, what, what's happening? So then I said, I wonder how accurate weather forecasters are. So last night I did a little internet search, and I found out that the most accurate weather forecast is on the Weather Channel, the National Weather Service. So then they had some really neat opinions. Why? The National Weather Service doesn't care if you watch TV. I want you to think about that. They don't care if you watch the Weather Channel. They're going to put the weather up, and the weather is the weather. That's what my dad always said. Why worry about it? The weather is the weather. But Channel 6, Channel 3, Channel 10, Fox, they care if you watch TV. So the researchers found out that when the percentages are low, they actually increase, like there's a 30, 40%, they actually increase it to make it sound worse. And when it comes to snowfall, and we've all experienced this, if they say it's only going to be one inches or two inches, they inflate it. Why? Because then we get to use words like snowmageddon. They didn't have that word when I was a kid, right? But now they do. It's snowmageddon. And we all run to the grocery store and we buy those necessities for French toast. I don't know why we all have French toast when it snows, but you got to get bread, milk, and eggs. That's all you need for French toast. Not only can you do that, but if you get the right weather app, you can find out the weather now, hourly. So if you have a picnic this afternoon, and I know that's odd in November, but you can see hourly what the prediction is. They will now tell you the weather 10 days in the future. There's a 10-day button. And if you want to be your own weather guy, you can have overlays. They have radar and satellite. They have pollen. I, I made a list. Air quality, pollen. There's even a storm tracker. You can see where they're coming. Why? Because we all want to know What's going to happen? Now, you say, Doc, you're a little too focused on the weather. Well, you can say that. If you ever watch CNN between 4 o'clock and about 8 o'clock, it's all people predicting stuff about the stock market tomorrow. Right? You've got the Motley Fool and you've got all those guys saying, oh, this stock is going to go up and this stock is going to go down and this is a long term and this is a short term. Why? Because if we find out what the future is and we buy the right stocks, 
Then we can have a nicer car, or pay off our mortgage, or go on a nice vacation. We want to know the future. There are people who predict before the football season starts who's going to win the Super Bowl at the end. They did not pick the Eagles this year. And if they did, they're very worried. Who are you teaching? Yeah, so here we go. I want you to think about this. Even our kids have toys that predict the future. Do you remember the magic eight ball? Yeah. I have a friend, he teaches high school English. He keeps one on his desk. And if a kid says, can I go to the bathroom? He picks it up and shakes it. He looks at it and if it says no, the answer is no. Or he says, it doesn't look good for you right now. And whatever the magic eight ball says is what he picks as their answer. Or there's always one fourth grader who learns how to make those little paper fortune tellers, you know. Pick a color, brown, B-R-O-W-N, they flick it, then you open up and there's numbers inside. And you do that and finally they pull it out and they tell you which fourth grader you're going to marry, right? Or where you're going to live or what job you're going to have. We're, we're all fascinated with the future. So, I made a list here. I, I actually found these. These are predictions, actual predictions from the past. So you can get this idea in your head. Thomas Watson, the chairman of IBM, in 1943 said, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. <laughs> IBM, 1943. The most computers we're ever going to need for the entire world are five. Here's another one. Popular Mechanics in 1949 made the prediction where a calculator on the ENIAC is equipped with 18,000 vacuum tubes and weighs 30 tons. Computers in the future may only have 1,000 vacuum tubes and weigh a ton and a half. There was an inventor by the name of Lee DeForest. He said, while theoretically and technically television may be feasible, Commercially and financially, it's an impossibility. Last one. Decca Recording made a big mistake when they made this prediction. We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. That was the Beatles. They chose not to represent the Beatles. So I want you to go to our Bible story, and there's really two things happening in a conclusion. The first thing is Jesus and the disciples were at the temple. And we can only imagine what the temple was like, but let me, let me help you out here. The temple in Jesus' time had taken 45 or 46 years to build. The smallest stones in the wall weighed two to three tons. And the biggest stone is still there on the wailing wall it is 25 feet long, 10 feet high, and weighed over 100 tons. There were parts of the wall of the temple that were 400 feet tall. They could not use mortar because when you put that much weight on one stone to another, it would just squish it out. So all of the wall, rocks in the wall, the blocks in the wall, were held in place just by their weight and the way that they were shaped. Imagine that the wailing wall is still there, being held only by the weight of the stones. 
if you went into the main hall of the temple, it could hold 250,000 people. A quarter of a million people. So then, because I'm me, I said, well, I wonder what the biggest stadium in America would hold. Happens to be Michigan football, 130,065. I don't know why they came up with that number, but it was 130,065 seats in the University of Michigan. So double that stadium is the inside of the temple. Now, if you were a Jewish person in the first century and you had this big building, would you be proud of it? Well, of course you would. It had stood parts of it for already a thousand years when Solomon built it. It had been built and destroyed, built and destroyed, and this was the third building of the temple. Inside, the walls of the temple had wallpaper on it. Wallpaper that none of you have in your house, I'm sure. It was gold-plated. The inside of the temple had gold plating on the walls. Now, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Venice, and Venice has been in the news because of the flooding, but they have gold plate on the inside of St. Mark's Cathedral, right there on St. Mark's Square at Venice. And in the afternoon, they'll let you go in and they turn on the special light so you can see the whole inside glow. So the disciples and Jesus have gone to the temple. It is the place to be spiritually. It's the place to be socially. It's the place to be economically, and it is really cool to be in the biggest building in that part of the world. I have a, an example for you. My dad came over from London in 1959, and every now and then, relatives, that's what we called them, the relatives would come to visit. It was a parade of them. And they would stay in the guest room, and then on Saturday, you know what we had to do? We had to go to Philadelphia. Because they had never seen the Independence Hall, and the Liberty Bell, and the Frank... And, okay, so the first time, that's sort of fun. And the second time, it's interesting. You get up to your eighth or ninth relative visiting, you're like, oh, man, do I have to go see it again? And the answer was, yes. And do you remember in the old days, we were allowed to touch the Liberty Bell. I thought that was the coolest thing. You could go right up and touch it. And that was true until about ten years ago when the guy tried to hit it with a hammer. Do you remember that story? And now it's all blocked off. But you could go and touch the Liberty Bell. That awe was what the disciples had when they were leaving the temple. And they're leaving the temple and they're going, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, look at our great temple. And Jesus says, there's going to come a day when not a stone will be left standing. It's going to be torn down. The biggest building that they had ever seen with stones that weighed an average of 50 tons each were going to be knocked over. And they all stopped. And they said, oh my word, how could that possibly be? And then they remembered who was making the prediction. This is the person who can heal the blind, make the lame walk, right? Catch fish with coins in their mouth to pay his taxes. I wish I could catch one of those fish. And they said, Jesus knows stuff. Then they said, well, let's ask him, when is this going to happen? And that's the question. 
Jesus, if you can predict that, can you predict the political weather for us? See, they were waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah was supposed to, in their minds, come in, usurp, conquer the Romans who had conquered them, expel the Romans, restore Israel to its former glory, and rule like King David and King Solomon did. And they're saying, when is this going to happen? So it's, I don't know if you know this, but Disney had to close the small world ride. It's a small world. Do you know why? They had to re-outfit the cars. Because we are too big. The average American no longer fits in that it's a small world ride. They had to redo the cars. <laughs> they had to close the ride and put in new cars. Like my dad would say, they got too big for their britches. There you go. So this is what happened to the disciples. They're like, well, if he'll let us see that glimpse of the future, maybe he'll tell us more. And Jesus says, well, you want the inside scoop? Here's the inside scoop. When there are wars and rumors of wars and fires and floods and famines, all of that going on, well, none of that really matters. That's exactly what he said. And they were hanging on his every word. When all of this bad stuff happens, yes, 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 none of that really matters. What matters is, are you ready every day for my return? Can you persevere through these things? Jesus was saying them to them politely, maybe not so politely, God's timing is different than your timing. It's like the little boy who said, God, are you really there? And was very surprised when he heard a voice say, Yes, Jimmy, what can I do for you? God, he said, What is a million years like to you? And God answered, A million years is like a day. Jimmy said, God, What is a million dollars like to you? And he said, It's like a penny. He said, God, Can I have one of your pennies? God said, Give me a day to think about it. <laughs> God's direction is clear. We actually talked about this in Sunday school today. God's direction is clear. The Bible is clear. It's clear as to right and wrong. It's clear as to how to live our lives. It's clear as to how to honor Jesus every day. It's like the large aircraft carrier that was coming home. It had served well in the wars, won many victories, and it saw an unknown ship. So it got out that little blinking light thing, and they sent the message. Unknown ship, move 10 degrees port. And the light came back from the unknown ship, no. They rode back, and they said, this is an aircraft carrier. You must move 10 degrees to the starboard. And it came back, no. The admiral got on. He said, take this message down. And he said, I'm Admiral so-and-so, and, -so, and I, I command this ship for the U.S. Navy. You will move 10 degrees starboard. And he sent the message, and it came back. This is Seaman Jones. I run the lighthouse. No. We believe, because we have free will, that we can negotiate with God. Right? 
God says, this is the clear path. And we're like, can we, can we move over here? Can we move over here? Can we, can we know the future, God, so that we could steer? Wouldn't it be nice to know? And St. Augustine wrote about this. Because in, in his time, they believed that your baptism for sins was actually the baptism for sins. So they would baptize people at the very end of their life, just before they were going to die. So when they went to heaven, they would have no sins. And St. Augustine became sick to the point of death in his 30s. They baptized him, and then he recovered. And he was mad, because now he had to live as sin-free as he could theologically in his day, because he didn't know when he was going to... Wouldn't it be nice to know the exact day when God was coming back, and then we could all get our house in order just in time for him to arrive? It's like the uh, Far Side cartoon. I love this one. And it's got the prophet guy with the robe and the straggly beard and the big sign. And it says, the end is near. And then when you zoom out a little bit, there's a little tiny prophet guy with the straggly beard and the robe running behind with a little sign. And it says, the end. There are three things, if you're taking notes, these are the three important things I want you to get. Jesus says, live every day as if it's your last. Live every day as if it's your last. When I worked for AT&T, they used to do a priority exercise. And they would say, what if you won a trip to Hawaii for you and your wife, 10 days, all expense paid, and you have to leave tomorrow morning? All those things that you're thinking of right now that, oh, I have to do this and this and this, you would clean them all out to be at the Philadelphia airport tomorrow morning to get on that plane with your wife for 10 days. It would all go away. Why? Because your priorities had suddenly changed. Jesus says, live every day as if it's your last. Because it could be. This could be the day that Jesus comes back and you want to get caught doing the right thing. The second thing that Jesus says is I want to live every day as if it's your best. As if it's your best. Remember the parable of the sheep and the goats? Jesus said, if you did this as unto the least of me, these, my brethren, you did it to me. There are people that we meet every day that need a loving word, a loving touch, a compassionate outreach. And you may be, as my Sunday school teacher said, the only Bible they see. Live every day as if it's your best. And the last thing is probably the most obvious, but live every day for Christ. We are his representatives. We have to, as, as Paul wrote, do it as unto the Lord. I love driving behind people that have bumper stickers about their church or keep Christ in Christmas or honk if you love Jesus. And they seem to be the first ones to, to flick the love finger at you, as my mom would say. They cut you off and then up goes the family. I'm like, your back doesn't match your front, right? If you're the only Bible we see and you got a big sign on the back that says keep Christ in Christmas and you drive in a selfish, angry manner, 
Your witness is not what you think it is. So there are three responses, and they're easy, and they all begin with the letter A. Today you need to admit, if, admit you need a Savior. If you haven't made a decision for Christ, if you haven't said, I want Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior, then today would be a great day to admit you need a Savior, and secondly, accept the gift of Jesus. I love that old hymn, I, I quote it a lot, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a guilty stain. He washed it white as snow. Thank goodness we don't believe with St. Augustine that once you get washed, you can never get washed again. This is a relationship. If any of you have people in your lives, children, wives, spouses, uh, employers, employees, you know that forgiveness happens all the time. It is a constant, ongoing process. Same with us in Jesus. So accept that gift. Accept the gift of Jesus' forgiveness. And the last one is join the adventure. The adventure of living every day for Jesus. If any of those challenge your heart and you want to pray with one of our deacons or our our pastors, we're going to leave the front pews of the church open for you while we sing our last hymn. Amen.